I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets is not actually hearing her and growing her with the other Tyra because I suffered from it tremendously, like even like right now. And that was like a big part of my depression after the Olympics. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This week, I am thrilled to get to speak with Tyra Gittins, who is an Olympic athlete representing Trinidad and Tobago. In this episode, Tyra speaks about how she got interested in athletics and specifically in track and field, and all of the mental health challenges that she's experienced while becoming a competitive athlete and then eventually competing at the Olympics back in 2020. A lot of the themes that Tyra touches on in this interview are focused around losing your sense of identity when being in such a competitive sport and training as an elite and professional athlete, and also finding ways to come back to what initially draws you into a specific sport when you make that your profession and the challenges that come with that. I'm thrilled for you all to hear this episode. Tyra has so many valuable insights and wisdom to share. Before I get into the interview, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, Tyra. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's so great to have the opportunity to chat with you this afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited. I love opportunities like this. So Yeah, we were just talking about how important it is to have conversations, especially in athletics, around mental health. And yesterday was actually World Mental Health Day. So it's kind of uh, timely that we're getting to have this conversation today, just given that October 10th is like this big day to, to celebrate and bring awareness to mental health um, at large. So couldn't be more perfect timing to get to chat today. I know. And every day is always a perfect day to talk about it because it needs to be talked about. I would love to start off by you sharing a little bit more just how you got into track and field generally, like how you got into um, this area of athletics. Walk my listeners through just the journey into getting into this area of sports. So there's two sides to it. There's the side of me being from a large family. I'm from a family of nine. I'm the seventh child. And... um, my siblings, my dad's a musician, also was a national uh, uh, athlete for Tr- Trinidad, where I'm from. And so, like, sports and music was always in my blood. And, like, my older siblings, they all did sports as well. And my older sister, one of my older sisters, she did uh, track. And I remember watching her, and I'm like, oh, my God, so cool. Um, so there's that side of just, like, my environment. Um, and then there's the side of, like, my actual passion for the sport, you know, like, where I actually got in my crazy head that I wanted to be an Olympian at seven years old. Um, it was, it happened naturally, like I said, because of the environment that I was, but it wasn't until one day I was, we were just watching the Olympics and we were watching Trinidad come out and like, we were all just like, 
yeah. And I was just like watching those athletes because I might not have been doing those events, but I or even sport, but I was just like they are like representing and like like I love that. I love the fact that they were there representing our nation, our small little island, you know, and I was like, I wanna do that yet. Like <laughs> and so my dad saw that I had some talent from a young age. I was also hyper as hell. So like they were like, I mean, anything to get this out the house, but like little did they know. I mean, because uh, I did gymnastics first and um, that got expensive and I got too tall, whatever that means. And so uh, they put me in track. My mom was like, oh, Tara will be really good at it. Tara should do the jumps. And so my dad was like, no, I think she's a sprinter. And it turned out I was like all of the above. And so, <laughs> and so as I like started like just doing it in school at a young age, I was like, oh, wait, I actually am pretty good at it. And it's not just like my parents just thinking, you know how parents think all their kids are just good at everything. I thought that was like, they're like, my son's the smartest. Like he's not, but it's okay. And so I, I actually saw it for the first time. And I was like, I think I can, I think I can do this. I think I can make something out of this. And um, it was also at a very weird time of my life when all my siblings, because we're, my oldest sibling is 42, you know? And so it's like, there's a big age gap and they all have their careers and they're all like, I come from a talented family. And so it was always just trying to like find my individuality and find what made me special. And so that kind of pushed me into, I guess like pushed me and what really drove me into actually like snatching onto track because I wanted that and I found something. Cause I was like, I can't do singing. My dad is literally, very successful. Can't do, can't do volleyball. My sisters play volleyball. I can't do music either. My brothers are all into music. I'm like, then what's left? What is it? Nothing. But, uh, and I'm a terrible artist. Like I cannot draw for my life. And so like that wasn't going to work. And so I really just like dove into track and now hindsight, I know it was definitely an unhealthy beginning because of that. Uh, because I used it to kind of like show my family that I was like special too. And it didn't come from really a just a pure genuine place of I just love the sport even though I was part of it uh <clears throat> so and that all that led into like a whole bunch of insecurities throughout my life but like once I got into track that I was able to channel a lot of my chaos like I don't even call it energy I call it chaos I channeled my sport and like I was a heptathlete my whole life uh do you know what the heptathlon is no I'm not familiar with that it's one event but it has it's made up of seven events so the first day would be 100 hurdles high jump shot put the 200 and then the next day would be long jump javelin and the 800 so I started off in the very beginning just doing open events and I would just do you know high jump long jump shot I'll do it all open and then I was like my parents were like let's you should probably just start doing the hip. And so I started doing the hip and man, that, that chant, that awoken something in me. I mean, maybe a little narcissistic now that I think about it, but like, I love the attention of it. I love the fact that like, I get two days of just a me. I mean, there was obviously other competitors, but the hip is not about who wins like each event. It's about points. And so no one gets in your way of winning really it's you run as fat the faster you run the higher and longer you jump the further you throw the more points you get so i mean you just you just do you and the girls are there to push you 
And so like, I loved it because like, you're just there and you're just in your own world having a blast competing. And like, people thought I was a little crazy because like, I, I invested a lot into it. And I decided I wanted to go to the Olympics since I was seven. And it, I didn't even like really invest myself until I got to college. I did my undergrad at Texas A&M and um, it was very surprising me being at A&M because the coach that I was recruited by ended up getting fired. And so I did not know who the coach was going to be. And little did I know that was going to be my soulmate of a coach, you know, and that's where I was going to meet my fiance. And it's like so many things happened when I came to A&M and it honestly showed me that like, oh, wait, Tyra you're not in it for the right reasons because you have all of these, like all of these things are here, but you're not even utilizing everything. Like my fiance was such a support and he was like, Tyra, you're, you're not even tapping into your full potential. And my coach was like, Tyra, come on. And this is me as a little freshman. And so um, I had to kind of sit down and talk to myself. What do I really want out of this? Why am I even doing this? And sadly before I had a successful freshman year because I just, that was just talent. And, you know, basic training, but mentally I was not strong enough to do anything phenomenal. I got a meniscus surgery my sophomore year and I had to sit out. And during that injury, during that phase, I was like devastated because I came to realize I'm one person on the track and the other person off the track. And I didn't know the other, they didn't know each other. That is a really fascinating point. And before we dive more into that because I definitely want to focus more of our, our conversation on on like the two different Tyras, perhaps, if you would even say that. The Tyra on the track competing versus like the Tyra not involved in athletics. But earlier you mentioned that you're one of nine. That's a huge family. Um, I'm an only child. So it's like completely night and day. And I'm always so fascinated to learn more about like sibling relationships and and interactions and experiences and how um, being a part of a big family or just having a sibling like at all kind of like shapes the way you grow up and find your interests. Because from my own experience, I never had, there weren't other siblings in our family where like they fulfilled this specific niche. Like we had an artist or a musician or an athlete. Like I had kind of the luxury of not having to really compare myself against anyone else and could it try anything and I didn't have to really fit into this mold but I can see as being a young kid feeling like oh well you know my sisters are doing this and my brother's doing that and my parents do that so I don't really know what's left for me did you feel like that was the primary motivation like trying to find a sense of individuation or individuality was that the primary motivation that got you into track and field and like eventually over time did your love for the sport develop once you realized like yeah I'm actually really good at this and I like it or would you say that like there was some sort of feeling or being enticed by the sport even at a young age that led you to want to pursue it professionally it's a mixture of both it's definitely and it's 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 a very like it's a thin line. I can't, I personally still can't kind of go back that far and like make, and like make, make it clear. I, I have no idea, but I know both of them are a big part of why I even got into track because my family, family for me are very influential. Like they're, they have been my everything, you know? And, and so like, even though the environment that I grew up in, it wasn't like purposely competitive. My parents 
made sure of that. And like, they never like compared us. They never did anything like that. But like, it was, it was challenging, but we all pushed each other. Like we all pushed each other in the best ways. And I, I owe a lot of my, let's just say my family kept me humble. They made sure that I did not let all this go to my head because I like, I mean, you know, like it, I'm not better than anybody else. I just followed my passion and I just happened to be good at it. You know what I mean? But also my, my love for the sport, I think was always there. Cause like I said, my dad was also an athlete and I mean, he used to watch sports all the time around me, well, track specifically. And then also I just, I don't know. I just always had a love for it. And I don't really like sports. I don't like, I don't like other sports. I like to watch swimming and, and gymnastics, but like, I was never really into sports. And so, you know, the fact that I was like really attracted to track, my dad was like, yes. Cause he's been trying to find a kid who was just obsessed with it as he was. I do think that also parents can subtly, even if they're not like overtly influencing your interests or passions that develop, it's kind of like what you're surrounded by when you're young um, that have these influences, at least on like what you're exposed to and maybe like what you develop your interests in. So I find that to be really interesting, but Fast forwarding a bit more to where we left off on, you know, not really knowing the Tyra on the field versus off the field. Can you talk a little bit more about like when you got to that point and how that made you feel like how how did that recognition around like, you know, maybe the persona that you adopted while competing and pushing yourself on the field in athletics versus, you know, the the person that you felt like you were outside of sports like when did that moment strike and how did that experience kind of shape your perspective on the importance of mental health in athletics? In the moment for me, I was devastated. That was a wake up call that I, I had nothing outside of track. I'd never built the tire outside of track. I didn't know what I wanted to do outside of track. My backup plan revolved around track and it was it wasn't until my fiance boyfriend at the time knew me. Uh, he was taking care of me through my surgery, and there was a time where I was like, "Donovan, can you help me off to class? I'm not trying to crutch through the winter storm that we're having." It was like 50 degrees. I was not. I wasn't trying to do it. And he was like, "Tired? No, I have things to do. You, you'll be fine. You're you, like, you need to do this because this is what's going to help build you during this time." And I like had a breakdown on the way to on the way to class because I was like, if this was a if this was a workout, I would have never even second guessed doing it by myself, you know, and just like pushing through. But the fact that I'm crumbling at the fact that I have to do something like, and I had to like actually be strong, I I crumbled and like I didn't know that part of me. And I like this is the first time I was meeting her, and I hated her. Like I. I did not like her. And instead of actually trying to change it, I I kind of like sulked in it. I I got I was supposed to build her, but instead I dove even harder in track. I said, you know what? I'm making sure this works. Cause so I I was at practice. I visualized. I was in my rehab. I was extra committed. And even though it benefited Sports, Tyra, TG was just, <laughs> me. and I was like, 
get down there. Like, <laughs> and it, and honestly, I, I think that's probably one of my biggest regrets is not actually hearing her and growing her with the other Tyra because I suffer from it tremendously, like even like right now. And that was like a big part of my depression after the Olympics. It was because I struggled to work on it. And, I, and I'll give myself credit, COVID, because track was taken away from me again, but not this, this time wasn't an injury. It was, it was, everybody was suffering. So I took it upon myself to work on the things that I was not strong at. And I thought that I was still growing Tyra. And I, and I was, I was, it was better than the first time, but it still wasn't enough because I dove into track again. I still didn't take the time to take care of Tyra. I thought by me accomplishing this goal, because that year was supposed to be the Olympic year and I would have missed out. And I was like, felt bad for the people that were going to go, but that didn't end up going because they didn't qualify the next year. But like, I took that as an advantage and I worked my ass off to the point where I regret. I honestly, I can't even say I regret, but it's bittersweet feelings for me that year and that was probably so far in my career that was the best year of my career because of that dedication and slight very minimum personal growth but I still did it wrong we all kind of came in as student athletes in college um especially at the big schools and they give you that basic typical if you want to be great you must do this you must sacrifice and it's always sacrifice what and it's that well whatever it takes and I did. I sacrificed myself to s fulfill a dream that I said I wanted to do since I was seven. And w like when I came back, I hated myself even more after I fulfilled it. And I could not believe that something that was supposed to be so important to me and that was supposed to grant me so much happiness literally ripped my heart out. And it's like, the only way to do it right, and I say this because this is what I wish I grew up hearing, and instead of, I heard, well, it, this is what it takes, this is what it takes, and you hear all of those athletes and all of those successful people giving you what it takes, but that's not it. it. What it takes to be the best at what you do, it honestly, it's not even half is on the track or at practice. It's what you fix here. It's literally here, because you're not going to give your best unless you're at your best. And it's like, even though like it's hard, it's, even though people are like, well, Tyra, you also still are an Olympian. That doesn't mean anything because the, my season after I went to the Olympics, I crumbled. I was, I was broken. I couldn't even look at the track for so long because I was like, how could that something I cherished and it was kissing up. I bled. I, it was so much tears, so much vomit, <laughs> so much time on that track. And that's what you did to me. It was an unhealthy relationship that I had with something that I thought I loved. I do. I still love it. But it's making sure you build yourself as you build in your sport. It's making sure you are going to the therapist. Making sure you are going and dealing with your, with your childhood traumas. That's a big one. And it's like all of your insecurities. Why, the, the why you do what you do is so important. And it, you have to like dive into that because like you can't hide it in sports. <laughs> Cause the world sees it, and then they ridicule you because you just didn't have you didn't have a good season. Tyra, Tyra had a really shitty season, 
it to just blame it on me not caring or me not, you know, being ready to be a professional or something of that nature. And it's like, you have no idea what kind of year I had last year. You know what I mean? And you're about to enter a, a industry where for so long it's been about, I mean, it's what you can produce and that's it. Like no one cares. If you even show that you might not be ready, probably won't sign you because they want someone who's ready to go. And so you can't talk about it. And it wasn't until this year, especially as you might know, like Simone Biles talking about some things like, you know how much ridicule she got for that? And it's like, even the athletes were like, boo, get off the stage. Like even athletes who I know suffer through the same thing, but they're too caught up in it to even admit that she was right. And like, it's hard to like explain to the adults the the older generation in track and field which are a lot of the coaches but um I for me this is what track has turned into it's me explaining what I wish someone would have sat me down and explained it's bigger than your sport it's what you get out of your sport and what how can you make it better and that might not have anything to do with the sport itself I'm not like a therapist or anything but I'm someone who chased my dreams and did whatever it took and got me probably I had to start over like like social skills I had none because I used track as an excuse that I didn't need friends families all that mattered I didn't have friends I did not go to anything people stopped inviting me to things because I was like no I track I have I'm gonna practice I'm gonna do something I'm gonna none so I'm like so awkward in social settings and now I'm like trying to be an adult and I'm like going out looking cute and I'm like awkward as heck like (laughs) you know and it's like I don't even mention to people that I like when people I don't mention anything about track until somebody asks me and then they're like wait you want to go to the Olympics I'm like I already have and then it's like sometimes I'm just like I want to build genuine connections because people just like but it's like I'm trying to do something that I prevented myself from doing my whole life thank you for sharing that um and for being so open about that it's definitely a really hard line to balance I think because when you are so committed to a sport for example or you know your craft if you're an artist like whatever it may be it it, it can almost kind of be like this double-edged sword where you want to like give it your all and fully excel and succeed and achieve all that you're setting out to do so you put like a thousand percent of your effort and focus towards that one thing and it can be great because you can like actually excel in that area. But then I feel like the downside is maybe it's like a distraction from actually doing the work to work on yourself. So what advice would you give to athletes or students or really young adults at large for simultaneously pursuing their passion and giving that their their whole self and all of their energy, but also, you know, not not sacrificing their ability to also like tap into, you know, their own intuition and take the time to work on themselves. So what strategies do you have to like strike that balance? And off of that point, like what advice would you give to people who are struggling with that kind of position and, and trying to do both? So I'm personally still learning this, like actually applying what I've been preaching. Like I'm doing that like today in this interview right now. And so, (laughs) so it's like the biggest thing for me is just finding other hobbies. You know, you are bound to have more talents than what you're doing. And it's kind of finding that and just giving your brain a rest, you know, uh, journaling and from a young age, letting your kids play a whole bunch of sports, like get them in everything. Don't, 
don't put them in one thing and just because they are like probably really good at it. Don't stop that. Don't stop it there. Let them continue. That you gain so many social skills doing sports. I mean, as we all know, you know, and not just sports. Put them in something like, you know, have them in clubs. Have them socialize. Have them see that, oh, I'm actually pretty good at a lot of things, but I like this one more. And it's not just, I'm good at it. This is my only way to pay for college. So I got to do it. You know, like, I think that's going to be a good help. It starts really young. And I know it's hard to do with little kids because it's, I mean, I don't know. I've never had kids. Um, but, like, <laughs> but like, that's something that I think I, I wish uh, I would have done. But like, my parents didn't stop me. I They just didn't tell me no either. You know, like they didn't, you know, they didn't say yes, but they didn't say no. So I just kind of went with what I wanted to do. There is so much to be said really on like how to not make your passion like all consuming and like your entire personality trait. Like how do you engage with something that you're so passionate about in a healthy way? And really like you're, you're calling to like so many important issues. I mean, the fact that there's backlash against what Simone Biles is saying, I think is personally ridiculous. It's so important that she's sharing this um, in her story and and really, you know, paving the way to open up the conversation um, and having these more vulnerable conversations about what it means to take care of yourself. And, um, you know, I think it's it's hard to find a way to make something you love, something that you're not obsessed with, to the extent that it's like a fault in your your overall well-being and health. Um, and so, like, if you could not necessarily do it over again, but, um, you know, looking back, I know you mentioned that this, you know, there's probably healthier ways to kind of take care of yourself while also wanting to perform at an optimal level. Like, what are some strategies you think that would be really useful for athletes in particular to kind of continue to stay true to who they are, yet at the same time, like, devote their their efforts and and hard work to being the best that they can at whatever sport they're competing in honestly the biggest thing is having your kids go to therapy at a young age <laughs> just like not because they're you know terrible people or they're messed up it's just give them like have them be able to like feel their emotions feel like be in tune with their emotions and their body because i can tell you that's going to help a lot in sports now I can recognize when I'm getting really frustrated that I'm not getting this drill right. And instead of like beating myself up, I'll be like, hey, I'm, oh, I'm going to be okay. The world is not ending. I'm still me. They're still them. And I'm still at the track at practice. I have time to fix it, you know? And prior to all of this, I would just beat myself up. If I didn't get something at practice, I'm in my journal, like chalking up drills that I can do to get it. I got, it was like an obsession that I had because I didn't feel something in practice. It's not healthy. Yeah, it's like a sense of perfectionism almost, which can be really detrimental um, when we obsess over something and hyperfixate on it. And yes, to an extent, that can be helpful when you like focus your efforts and energy towards like wanting to improve. But like to what extent? To what extent can you do that in a way that's healthy and will actually help you move forward versus like break you down? Um, and I totally agree around that point around like normalizing therapy, especially at a young age. I think there's still a lot of work to be done in our culture and in our society to um, like recognize that therapy is not for like those that are, I don't know, mentally broken or like suffering tons of issues. Like it's really a vehicle or like a practice that I think just allows for people to unpack the, their, the issues that they've developed either consciously or subconsciously 
Um, and, and it's really a form of self-improvement at the end of the day, no matter like what you've struggled with or what you, you suffer with or anything of that matter. Um, you know, it's, it's a tool for self-inquiry and self-discovery and like who wouldn't benefit from that. So I really love your point about that. And there was one more point. Uh, it's more for like college athletes who are already stuck in it. You know, like you're no longer a child. Parents have no say. It's kind of recognizing things earlier, recognizing that your coach telling you being a a-hole to you 24-7 saying like, honestly, a little borderline inappropriate things of, or like, you need to lose some weight or you need to gain some weight or you're just not going to cut it or like just kind of letting them control your passion for what you do. That's when it becomes unhealthy and you can't really control them, but you can control how you internalize things. And that comes with knowing who you are, you know, and that's like a big part. And like, I was able to start that process in college. So it, I was able to be like, look at my, not my specific coach, but uh, my, not my event coach, but like head coaches normally are the culprits. But, you know, I'll be able to, if he said something, I'll be like, that's cute. You know, like I would have that confidence and I'm like, I'm sorry. I know my worth on this team and I know you know it too. And it's like, a lot of coaches kind of like break the athletes so like they won't even like believe that they are that that good you know and they don't even want to talk about the professional world so you're thinking college is it college is that like what you do in college boom bada bing and they once you were trying to go pro they completely like i don't know not really don't really want to help out or they're like no you can't go pro you're not done yet and it's like becomes like you don't own me you know, I'm not <laughs> like you, I, you can't tell me what to do with my life. And then they don't prepare you. They don't prepare you for that transition from having everything taken care of and you feeling so special because you're like, you know, you're good on your team and then preparing you for the real world where the majority of us, there's like only 1% of athletes go on to the next level from college. And it's like the majority of a lot of coaches, the, the program's athletes, they're going to go and do have regular jobs, but you've forced them into an environment where they can't even like do the major that they wanted because it messes up with training, training schedules. You know, like it, so many times athletes have to really suffer because they're like, you want, they come into the school wanting something and the, and the coaches agree when they're being recruited. They're like, yeah, you can do this. And then when you finally come, they're like, actually, no, this program, it has a it's like, it's too demanding and we travel a lot, good reasons, but that should not stop. You should not stop the athlete from actually doing what they need to do academically. Yeah. And I think that speaks to your point earlier around like the Tyra on the field, maybe versus the Tyra off the field. Like how can we find ways to integrate athletes, you know, their, their personal and like school lives into their athletic lives. Um, and have more of maybe like a holistic perspective, which is healthier. Um, I also, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I've seen you post a lot of content around yoga and something that maybe, I don't know if you're, you're aware of, but I'm a yoga instructor. I went and got my yoga certification, um, last summer in Bali, which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. But something that's been so foundational to me in the sport of rowing, outside of the sport of rowing, just all throughout my life has been the teachings of yoga and like how it's shaped my mentality on like emotional regulation, for example, um, 
you know, the way in which I try to find this or tap into like my intuition for my inner self and really like check in with how my body's feeling, where my mind's at. And, you know, as someone who is an Olympic athlete, I would love to hear if yoga's even influenced maybe your perspective on like that mind body connection or um like finding ways to calm your mind because i know for for me for certain it's it's been such an integral part of like my philosophy on healthy living is really just like the yoga practice i wish i can say that i am a yogi fanatic but like i i personally struggle being consistent with it but um it it got started uh after the semester after i came back from the olympics and i was like i said completely shattered little did I know like that little old class and the yoga instructor she was a big part of like me starting to heal um I enjoyed it was like the first thing that I did in the morning was my first class and at the end of class at the end of that semester I cried with my yoga instructor because I told her my mentality when I came in to the class and how just being with myself like that's something that I've never done from a big family. And so you don't have your personal space. You don't have that time. And I always had roommates. I never, never was ever by myself. And, and in that moment, I was like, by myself, I was like, what's going on here? Who is that? Like, who's talking to me? It's me. And I, and I like, I had no idea what that felt like. I was like, in, and just kind of like flowing, being with like being one with your body now as athletes we I, I, like we strive to be very self-aware uh body aware and like be able to feel and recognize things that are going on just kind of know your body but like this is a it was a different experience you know and I got more flexible but I was able to think more clearly about like my situation and that helped start my grieving process I, I guess it was grieving because I lost a relationship that I thought I had with the most important thing in my life at the time and so um, luckily I didn't lose it, but at the time I thought it was, and my yoga instructor really helped me outside of, outside of like the class itself. And, um, at the time also I had torn my shoulders. So like I couldn't hit a lot of the positions and she helped, she gave me like alternative things and just being in that environment alone. It was so different than the chaos that I go through every day. <laughs> <laughs> on the track and I was like if I didn't have that class if I didn't have that moment to actually check in with myself I don't think I think my road to recovery would have started a, like a lot later a lot later and so that's kind of like what started me and like my actual my my meditation I meditate quite often and I make sure and I focus on breathing before I make a decision I'm anytime I feel my hands sweating I breathe. Even when I'm doing a workout, I do box breathing to make sure that I'm getting enough oxygen in my brain. And so, <laughs> so like it's, it's benefited a lot into my, my sport, it's breathing specifically, but also being able to come back into my head and not, and being the moment and not think about absolutely everything that's around me kind of trying to pull me down. Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying, I completely resonate with. There's so much power in coming back to our breath. It's the it's the one way we can directly change our heartbeat and access our nervous system is when you focus on your breathing. Um, it's, it's incredibly powerful. So it's great to kind of hear your own firsthand experience with that and how you've applied it to the sport, but also outside of track and field. Um, cause I think it's just like a life skill, honestly, that I wish, um, 
people were taught at a younger age, just like the power of breathing correctly and bringing awareness to your breath and moving through life mindfully. Um, And kind of like earlier you were mentioning, you have all this like chaotic energy and maybe this was, it was able to be translated through track and field, like in a really effective way, because you could let all that energy out through your sport. But at, to a certain extent, it was almost even like detrimental. Um, so perhaps like being in tune with your breath and that body, mind, intuition, you can more effectively channel the, those emotions in a more productive way. Like when you're able to, um, you know, bring more attention to the breath and uh, do practices like yoga that allow you to slow down and kind of tap back to your yourself at your core um, so that you can be more effective when it comes to practicing and being on the field. Uh, so there's so many interconnections there and so fascinating for me. I could I could talk about this at length, but I want to transition. You know, as we're wrapping up with this interview, um, clearly we both know how there's such an intrinsic connection between exercise and endorphins. But outside of sports, what are some things in life that bring you joy and happiness? And, you know, rather, this is the question that I, I end with with every guest that comes onto the show. What is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? Outside of my sport, um, it could be two things. The first thing that came to my mind was singing and not just singing, you know, just like come into the song. I mean, performing. I mean, having my dog sit on the couch watching me. That's what I'm kidding. But I'm like singing for me brings me a lot. It brings me such a rush. And like, I mean, maybe not as much as my sport does, but like that, like just being able to express myself and let go of some of that chaotic energy that I have, it feels so good. And like being able to, like, no matter what I'm singing, being able to channel that emotion into something that's absolutely beautiful I love it I mean and it makes it even better that I kind of like how I sound and so it's not <laughs> it's like <laughs> I I it's it's a it's a good feeling it's a good feeling every time I sing and it especially if I sing a song that's meaningful to me or meaningful to something that I've been through because I normally always cry when I sing it because it's just a way of letting go uh and kind of calming down and just releasing a lot. So I definitely singing. I think that's my main one. I love that. I also used to sing. I used to sing opera in New York, which is so like, if you met me now, I don't think anyone would ever think I was like on the stage at the Metropolitan Opera as a child, but I, I, that's what I love to do. Like I loved performing. And so I think there's so many uh, connections between like the feeling of using your voice as an instrument and like feeling happy. And it, it's, you also have to be fully present in, and in the moment, like when you're singing, you have to be super mindful about like the words that you're singing and the, the, the pitch that you have and the rhythm, like there's so many things that you have to focus on that you can't really be distracted when you're doing it. So I think um, singing, for example, is like a way to really tap into that flow state. And it's, it's such an endorphin high, like really any, any type of performance. And I see also the relationship with just performing in athletics. Like when you're an Olympian, you're performing for a international global crowd. <laughs> like what, what other performance is there, you know, than, than that. So there's so many relationships, I think. So I, I love your answer. And it's been such an absolute pleasure getting to, to chat this afternoon, Tyra. Where can my followers uh, find you on social media? Where can they connect with you and just follow along your journey? 
Um, my Instagram, that's definitely my main source of social media, uh, is Tyra Gittens, my first and last name. Um, I do have a Twitter. Don't remember it by heart. It's kind of like when I remember to use it, but uh, Instagram is definitely where I show the world my life, my everyday life. <laughs> Everyone, definitely go follow Tyra. It was, again, such an absolute pleasure. I hope everyone who is listening feels a bit more inspired to take their own health and happiness into their hands. And if you're an athlete listening out there, know that there are so many resources that you can go to, people that you can follow like Tyra who are really paving the way and pushing out this conversation on destigmatizing mental health and athletics. So I feel inspired um, and I'm so thrilled that we had this chance. Thank you again. It was such a pleasure getting to talk to you. Thank you so much, Stella, for having me. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.